When China correspondent Bill Bertels flew to the viral epicentre of Wuhan recently, he and cameraman Brant Cumming were a tad anxious. Family, friends and colleagues begged them not to go. But as it turned out, the assignment took a dramatic turn upon arrival. Here's Bill Bertels. It's a Wednesday night and I'm sitting at Beijing Airport with my colleague Brant Cumming, masks on and uneasiness pulsing through me. We're on the way to Wuhan, a city that almost everyone wants to get away from. In the departure gate, dozens who are bucking the trend. These are Wuhan Ren, people from the city who work or study in Beijing and are making the traditional pilgrimage home for Lunar New Year. They're all wearing masks, some are wearing respirators. And there's a stony silence as we all watch passengers from the arriving flight from Wuhan disembark. One woman, being helped by her daughter, looks frail, distressed and very sick. But her daughter's calmness seems to suggest her mum might be a hypochondriac. Let's hope so, because we're all getting on that plane. Two staff in protective gear go on to disinfect the aircraft, an ominous sign. As we're sitting on the tarmac about to fly, I'm thinking of all the people who told me not to go. While some international journalists went down, many I know said they simply didn't want to. Others weren't allowed, their companies believed it was too much of a risk. One British video journalist I know was told he could go down, but he wasn't allowed to stay a night. All he could do was a maximum 10 hours on the ground, that was the advice his company gave him. But it was the view of my Chinese colleagues and friends that really freaked me out. The virus is much worse than the authorities say, they told me. Some with hospital contacts in central China down near Wuhan said the virus is everywhere now. The official numbers are way behind. One Chinese colleague told me a Beijing TV crew that went down there returned to the capital only to end up in hospital. How are they doing, I asked. I don't know, he said. It's those unknowns that churn around in my head as the plane takes off. For two hours we fly in silence. Nearly everyone wears a mask. A Spanish journalist a few rows ahead of me already has the medical gloves on. As we descend, I look out the window at the city of 10 million people below me and I ponder, how long are we going to stay here? We arrive to a very empty airport. By the time we get to the baggage carousel, it's almost midnight. So I whip out the recorder and start doing interviews. I'd like to have something up for the morning. So I asked several people from the flight if they were worried. Not really, they all said, and nor had any of their friends or family in Wuhan been affected. That's reassuring, I thought. And then, when we emerged into the arrivals hall, we were met by our driver, Mr Pung. He must be one of the only people in Wuhan, at least at the airport, who was not wearing a face mask. That's not reassuring. Bear in mind, I've got it in my head from Chinese friends, that the virus is everywhere by now in Wuhan. But Mr Pang tells me he's not scared, although I do ask him to put a mask on for our trip in the car. Then I pull the old trick you're never supposed to do as a journalist. Interview your driver. It's past midnight now and I'm trying to get some colour and local voice from Wuhan for the morning's AM package. So I asked Mr Pang, does he know anyone who has the virus? Oh yes, he tells me. A friend of mine is in the hospital with it. Jeez, how's he doing, I ask. Ah, oh, not too bad. I spoke to him the other day on the phone, says he's feeling better, but they won't release him yet. 
I ask, does he know how his friend got it? Yeah, he thinks he might have got it while playing mahjong. He reckons the air in the room was stuffy and there were a lot of people in there. So then I ask if his friend had ever been to that seafood and animal market that had been identified as the initial source of the new virus. Oh yeah, he works there, he runs a business there, Mr Pung told me. Right, okay, well, there you go. We drive past one of the major hospitals and I ponder the people inside who must be suffering terribly from the virus. I thought about the nurses and doctors, clad in hazmat protective gear, how anxious they must be. By this stage, already one doctor had died. We thought briefly about stopping near the hospital to see if there was anyone outside to talk to, but it's 12.30 in the morning at this stage, and it's freezing, so let's come back in the morning and do it properly, I thought. So we get to our hotel, a massive empty lobby, and we do the mandatory temperature checks before entering, and a friendly young woman at reception tells us the hotel is very quiet at the moment, which means we get an upgrade. So I'm sitting in a palatial room by 1am, ingesting my interviews with Mr Pung and others, hoping I can smash out a three-minute piece for am on the ground and still sneak in a few hours sleep. I'm monitoring updates online as I translate the interview and write the story. And just as I'm finishing the edit at about 2.30am and sending it off to Sydney, my Twitter feed lights up. The Wuhan government has just announced that it will lock down the city at 10am. All flights, all trains in and out of Wuhan, will be suspended. Sure, right, okay. So what do we do? In our pre-departure safety chat with ABC headquarters, we discussed what we would do if they locked down the city. We would be stuck. So we would keep filing until we could find a way out. But this is different. They're giving us time to get out before they lock it down. Seems to me they deliberately announced it at 2.30am so most Wuhan residents would miss it and there wouldn't be a mad scramble to get out. Had I decided not to file for AM, I would have missed it too. So now I'm pondering my options. They're definitely going to lock it down for a while, but just how long? A few days? A few weeks? Longer? We could be stuck here for months. And if it's as bad as everyone says... That is plenty of time for us to be exposed to the virus while we're here. So, I made the call. We better get out. Too many unknowns. So I scrambled for a flight out before 10am, and amazingly, despite it being the day before Lunar New Year, I was able to get tickets, not to Beijing, they were all sold out, but to Shanghai. I spoke to the desk in Sydney, who also thought, earing on the side of caution, seemed sensible. And then I woke up Brandt, who was asleep in the room next to me, completely unaware of all this. Now, Brandt came to China after a stint in the Middle East, so his instinct was a little different. Why are we leaving the biggest story in the world, he asked. He's used to going into places that others are fleeing, and that's, as he said, where the stories are. So I hesitated once more. I checked with a mate from CNN who'd also come down to Wuhan. He told me he was being pulled out by his head office, as was a friend from Sky News TV in the UK. Um, uh, oh, um, oh, heck, we better go. So I woke up the driver, got him to come back, and we made the long drive back to Wuhan Airport at 4.30am. 
Luckily, we were early and we actually had time to interview people at the airport, even to do a live cross too. Everyone we spoke to were wearing masks, but they told me they weren't that worried. Few people, it seemed, would tell me, at least on camera, that they were concerned, but their faces told otherwise, especially those parents with small kids. And there is a stock standard patriotic answer that many, particularly young people, tell me when the cameras are rolling, but I suspect it's a bit different if you have more time off camera to talk to people. I'm sure our country is strong and can handle this, is what you tend to hear. But people do remember SARS in 2003 and the disastrous way in which local and then higher level officials hid the extent of the outbreak. Hundreds of people died. As we departed for Shanghai, everyone on board had a mask, including the hostesses. No one talked on the plane. It was just eerie. The day before Lunar New Year is supposed to be festive, a time for families to reunite or travel together. We landed and along with those families with small children were scanned by teams in white biohazard gear. We hadn't slept at all. I needed to find a coffee shop with Wi-Fi to file stories because this was the biggest story. But the shops didn't have any PowerPoints for my dying laptop, so Brandt and I sat on baggage trolleys on the ground in the Shanghai terminal, plugged into a wall socket, and spent the afternoon writing, recording, going outside to do TV, and eventually retreating to an airport hotel. We're now back in Beijing, still with an incubation period, but we're feeling good. A few days ago, I messaged Mr. Pung to ask how his maiden hospital was going. I wanted to know if I could interview him down the phone, hear what it's like to have coronavirus and to be treated in a Wuhan hospital. Mr. Pung got back to me and he said, yeah, he's happy to talk, but he's a businessman, so he wants 500 yuan. That's about 100 bucks. We didn't pay, but it sounds like Mr. Pung's friend is now recovering well. Finally, a bit of good news. This is Bill Bertels in Beijing for Correspondence Report. And very glad to hear that Bill Bertels is still in good health and I hope that uh, his laptop battery is well charged as well.